You're listening to a Garden City Chapel podcast. For a complete list of podcasts, visit our website at www.gardencitychapel.com. I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. I've been preaching through the book of Acts. I had someone ask me, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts and only 20 Sundays at the chapel. So how are you going to cover all that? Well, I summarize some. And so I'm going to summarize some for you today. We found uh, last week we looked at the Apostle Paul arrested in Jerusalem. And really the, the chapters in between where we were last week and this week, what's happened is he's been tried in Jerusalem. There was a group of men who made a vow that they would not eat or drink until they had put the Apostle Paul to death. And so they went and cooked up a scheme whereby they were going to bring Paul out of his holding cell back to the council. And they were going to meet uh, Paul on the way back to the council and kill him. Now, of course, my question, Scripture doesn't answer this. My question is, okay, so did they all starve to death? Because they made a vow they wouldn't eat and drink again until Paul was dead. Paul didn't die for a long time after this. So, you know, did they break their vow or, uh, you know, how did they get around that? But we find Paul then transferred down to Caesarea to get him out of the hotbed. They found out there's a plot to kill him in Jerusalem. So to get him out of Jerusalem, take him down to Caesarea, and there he's going to be tried by the Roman authorities. And the first governor that he faces is a guy named Felix. And Felix didn't want to upset the Jews But he also didn't really have any reason to punish Paul, so he just left him in prison for two years until somebody came and succeeded Felix, and his name is Festus. And we'll talk about these in just a few moments. The title of the message is this, Have You Lost Your Mind? Have you ever been accused of that? Somebody ever looked at you and said, Have you lost your mind? Maybe it was your mother <laughs> who after you walked in, I, my mother could give me a look. She didn't even have to say it out loud. I just knew what she was thinking. Have you lost your mind? And I'm like, well, maybe I have. Well, that's kind of the, the passage we're going to look at this morning. Paul is accused of losing his mind. Uh, in fact, I think of, of places in Scripture even when living for God got people accused of having kind of lost their senses. If you remember King David coming back in and dancing before the ark. The covenant. They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, and, and he's dancing, and his wife sees him from her window. And you remember what she says to him? Have you lost your mind? You're the king for crying out loud. How undistinguished you look today. You remember what David responded? I'll look even more undistinguished than that. Why? Because I'm excited about what, who God is and about what God's doing. He's just restored to us the Ark of the Covenant. Folks, listen. If you live the Christian life, there's going to be times people look at you and don't get it. In fact, in a genuine sense, as believers, we have lost our mind. Why? Because the Bible says that as we come to Christ, one of the things that begins happening is our mind is renewed. And God gives us a new mind. And so in a sense, we've, we've lost the old mind, certainly. And the new one we're getting is a whole lot better than what we lost. Let's read this passage of Scripture together, starting in verse 19 of 26. I'm going to read through verse 32. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those at Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the regions of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. 
For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I'm persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa replied, Paul, in a short time, you'll persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I wish I would wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. The king stood up and the governor and Bernice and those who were with them. And when they had gone outside, they began talking to one another, saying, this man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus. This man might have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. I want to give you kind of the so what of today, even at the beginning. What was the point of the message today? My, my, my hope, my prayer for the crowd that I address here this morning would be that we live the Christian life in such a way that people see there's something different in us. Even if it sometimes costs us friends, even if it costs us people thinking that we've somehow lost our mind. And we can certainly give a reason for the hope that is within us as we're charged to do in Scripture. You know, there's one way to keep from having people thinking you're crazy. Just act like they do. You know, as long as you just go along with the crowd, people will think, well, he must not be crazy. He's acting just like we are. Has the thought ever crossed your mind that maybe they're the ones that are crazy? Maybe they're the ones that are placing their hope in the fact that they can live a life of abundance and, and joy on earth and not have give any thought to heaven or the future They're the ones that have lost their mind. Because as believers realize, you know what? I can have a life of joy and peace on this earth, but I have something to look forward to beyond this. I haven't lost my mind. You have. Let me give you some of the players in the passage today. We we hear about governors and kings, and we hear names like Felix and Festus and Agrippa and Bernice. Let me just tell you who these people are. Felix and Festus were governors. They were kind of in the same line as Pilate. Pilate's the one that had Jesus put to death. So they were... Governors. Felix was there first, then Festus. Then we have Agrippa. Agrippa was, in, was a king. He was in the line of the Herods. In fact, he was a direct descendant of Herod the Great. In fact, he had a father. His name was Agrippa. So this is Agrippa II. Bernice is his sister. Bernice had been married multiple times, and there's even indication from historians that they had an inappropriate relationship. At this point, she appears to be his wife. Keep in mind, she's his sister. Now, we don't have pictures of these people. Wouldn't it be kind of neat if we, you know, could kind of flip through Scripture? And some of your Bibles have pictures in it. We don't have actual pictures of Felix and Agrippa and Bernice. We do have one of Festus, though. Mike, do we have? There it is. I thought about showing that picture. Joe, you didn't get to see it. It's Festus from Gunsmoke. (laughs) I showed that Mike, who's our assistant camp director. He doesn't know who Festus is because he's never watched Gunsmoke. Y'all need to record Gunsmoke. comes on TV land pretty much every afternoon. One of my favorite shows. All right, that's not the Festus that we're talking about. 
I could have thrown up Felix the cat or something like that for Felix. Didn't have one for Agrippa or Bernice. But those who the people are. So Felix has been succeeded by Festus. And, and you know, we read, we read Acts and don't realize how much time takes place. You know, it says stuff like Paul was in prison for two years. And we, we keep on reading and don't realize that's two years. That's 365 days times two. Do the math. And yet when you go and read the other letters of the Apostle Paul and he says, I'm writing you from prison, we recognize that much of Paul's ministry was spent in a town where he's writing from prison. And sometimes he's able to be visited by people. In fact, in this passage, he's given a lot of freedom uh, to even though he's in chains, even though he's in prison. He had a lot of people that could come visit him. So he's able to minister to people. Even think about it. Every time he has a friend visit and they talk about how good God is, who else has to listen to that conversation? The guard that Paul was chained to on on often occasions, on many occasions. So Paul's in chains, standing before Agrippa and Festus and Bernice now on this occasion. And he starts out by addressing Agrippa. He says this, he says, I didn't approve disobedient to this divine vision. He's just gone over with them one more time, three times in the book of Acts. We hear Paul talk about his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Paul was on his way to persecute Christians. His name was Saul in those days. On his way to persecute Christians in Damascus. He had that experience where a blinding light in the middle of the day puts him on his face. And Jesus speaks to him and says, why are you persecuting me? And you remember what Paul said when he realized that it was Christ that he was persecuting. Remember what his question was? What shall I do? And Jesus says to him, well, continue on into Damascus and it will be told you what you must do. So here Paul has recapped that one more time back in chapter before this. We get to chapter 26 and he says to Agrippa, hey, I had that vision and I have not been disobedient to it. Paul said from the very beginning, from the moment that I trusted Christ as my Savior, from the moment that I understood that this Jesus who I thought had not been raised from the dead, the one that I would not have claimed to be the Messiah, when I realized He was the Messiah and I was persecuting Him, from that moment on, I have served Him, even at the cost of His freedom and even at the peril of His life. We know that Paul had had many attempts on his life. There was one time that literally they stoned him with rocks and left him for dead. And Paul never missed a beat. Paul continued to be obedient. In fact, I would say this, obedience always accompanies genuine salvation. I have to ask myself the question, listen, I became a Christian at the age of 12. Have I been as faithful to my calling as Paul was? No, there's been bumps in the road, there's been ups and downs, as probably you have too. But can we say today that we can look back on our life, whether we've been believers for a week or for 50 years or more, and say, you know what, I see spiritual growth there. I can see evidence in my life of genuine conversion. Paul says, I've been obedient. I've been obedient to this heavenly vision. And I have kept declaring in Damascus first. And then he enumerates all the ways that he's gone. And really, he started out just ministering to Jews because he was a Jew. That was his inroad. Every city he went into, he went into a synagogue and he thought, I want them. I want these Jews who can identify with my Jewish heritage. I want them to know the mistake that I made, that I've been persecuting this one that was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And so Paul went first to the Jew, but ultimately to the Gentile. And here's his message. Don't miss this. He said, I have preached to everybody, big people and little people. I've preached to the average person that I see on the street. Paul had also gotten to preach to kings and rulers and religious leaders because of his arrest. But his message was always the same. First of all, that everyone should repent and turn to God. 
The word repent means to think differently. It means a change. It means to turn. And ultimately, not just to turn, but to turn back to God. People that are here on a regular basis, you've got used to seeing me illustrate repentance by saying, you're walking this way, and you've turned. That's what repentance is. And Paul says, I've preached that everywhere. And not just that you should turn from the direction you were going, but you should turn to God and recognize that even though you were doing religious things, you were being disobedient to God, and you should turn to God. And then he says something interesting. He says, and then perform deeds in keeping or deeds appropriate to repentance. What does that mean? That means Paul says this. Listen, if you've genuinely turned and you've genuinely turned to God, it will be obvious to everybody. People will know. You know, the way Jesus described it over in John 3 when he was talking to um, Nicodemus, he says, you know, you need to be born again. Well, you can't hide birth. You also can't hide new birth. You can't hide the fact that you're a believer. If you've genuinely placed your faith in Christ, your life starts looking different. Different. In fact, repentance is an inward act that's instantaneous, but it bears fruit outwardly over the rest of your life. There's, a, there's something that God began at that moment that you're a different person. And so Paul is saying you need to produce fruit in genuine keeping with repentance. If you stick your finger in Acts, if you're following along in Scripture, if not, I'm going to read to you from Galatians. And there's several passages in Galatians. Keep in mind, Paul wrote, wrote Galatians. He wrote so many of the letters of the New Testament, but he wrote Galatians also from a, a prison cell. And here's what he says, just, just one way of explanation or illustration in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's Paul saying? If you're going to do deeds in keeping with repentance, this is some evidence that you've genuinely repented. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you've got a little ribbon, you can place it in Galatians because we're going to come back a couple more times. But what's Paul saying? Paul's saying the day you come to Christ, he begins a work in your life because you've repented. You're not heading the way you used to go. You've turned to God, and so you're going to see evidence, and you'll even see these evidences growing because they're fruit that will be produced in your life. A dead tree can produce no fruit. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus can try to produce these fruits. And you may even see little temporary evidences in their life. But over the long haul, over the course of their life, these things are impossible to be produced because, apart from Christ because they are fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is in your life and He's active, you'll see more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control continuing to grow in your life. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul says it will be evident. In fact, James put it this way in chapter 2 of verse 18 of James. He says, hey, you claim to be a Christian, but yet you have no works. I will prove to you that I'm a Christian by my works. I'll show you my faith. I'll demonstrate my faith in the fact that there's works accompanying that. Galatians 2 says that we're saved by grace, okay, through faith. But 2.10 says, but we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So when Paul says that you will bear fruit or you'll bear deeds, you will do things in keeping or appropriate to repentance, it will be obvious. People do an examination from time to time. Can you see evidence in your life that there's been genuine life change? See, we live in a culture where it's okay to go to church and it's okay to say, well, hey, I'm a Christian. Why why would you say that? Well, because I go to church. Or I'm a Christian because I've done this particular thing. Well, if you've done those things and you've genuinely been saved, you've genuinely repented, there'll be evidence of it in your life. 
that won't just be evident to you, but it'll be evident to other people. And you may even get asked the question, have you lost your mind? What's different about you? You're not the same as you used to be. Something's changed. Well, it is. You're a brand new person and brand new creation. And Paul says, because I've been preaching that, for that reason, the Jews have arrested me. They seized me in the temple. They've put me on trial, and they really ultimately want to put me to death. What's he been preaching? Four quick things if you're taking notes. First of all, he preached resurrection from the dead. That ticked them off. The Pharisees and Sadducees, we read about them in Scripture and think they were kind of in cahoots together. Well, they kind of were, but the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. Paul's preaching the resurrection from the dead. And the second thing he preached, which is even worse, is that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Now, what does that say to a Jew who is part of the conspiracy to kill Jesus? It says, no, wait a minute, we saw him dead. And the story that's been circulated while we can't find his body is that his disciples came and stole it. Well, that's the, that's the story that Paul believed up until the road to Damascus. Paul believed with all of his heart, and he proved it by his life. He persecuted Christians because he absolutely believed that, Pete, that Jesus was just kind of a troublemaker that they put to death and he was still dead. So when he encounters him on the road to Damascus and realizes, I'm not just persecuting Christians, I'm persecuting the Messiah, it changed his life. The third thing that he preached that upset him was that Jesus is the Messiah. What does that mean? It means all those prophecies from the Old Testament that Messiah is coming, he's come. See, Paul would have believed up until his conversion all of those prophecies about the Old Testament. He would have believed what he's read in the prophets about the coming Messiah. He just never believed Jesus fulfilled it. He finally came to understand that he did. And the fourth thing that Paul preached that upset him was he offered salvation to the Jews and to the Gentiles. What did he do? He put the Jews and the Gentiles on the same level. The word Gentile simply means ethnos. It just simply means people groups. It means basically everybody who wasn't a Jew. Paul was saying, you too can come to Christ. And that so upset him. They wanted to do to him what they had done to Jesus. They wanted to kill him. And they wanted to punish him. So for that reason, they put him to death. Well, obedient ministry will be opposed. What do you do when your ministry is opposed? I, I call this my look myself in the mirror moments. When you face opposition in ministry, and I'm not talking about full-time Christian vocational ministry. Most of you are not in that boat. But just as a believer, when you face opposition, that's where you come back and look yourself in the mirror and ask this question. God, am I doing what you call me to do? Because there are times that you will get slimed by people in church. There will be times that people who call themselves Christians will come up and slime you in ministry. And you've got to ask the question, did I just get slimed or was that God trying to get my attention? Maybe I was wrong and I need to ask the question, God, am I doing what you call me to do? Because if you're not, change. If you are, keep doing what God's called you to do. Trust me. If you're really living the Christian life, you will get opposed in ministry. In fact, you may even be misunderstood. The next portion of Scripture is really where we see Paul finally just totally misunderstood. In my own family, and I want to be careful how I share this illustration because this goes out over the Internet. <laughs> but when I finally started sharing with some members of my own family that God had called me to ministry, I was accused of being brainwashed by more than one member of my family. And that, that hurt I had to kind of come back and say, what, what do they mean by that? Even, even some members of the extended family said, well, I don't want you going off to seminary and coming back with, like, wearing robes and chanting stuff and, you know, things like that. I thought, I don't know what they thought. Was I going to sprout a third eye or something or have some new appendage growing out of my head? You know, they were basically saying, are you crazy? Well, no. That's debatable. We could have that trial later whether I'm crazy or not. 
But listen, if God has genuinely changed your life, it will bear fruit. And it may you may get misunderstood. Paul said, I obtained help from God and I've testified to small and great. And I've stated nothing contrary, nothing extra than what the prophets and Moses prophesied. Paul's saying, I haven't added to Scripture. I've simply pointed out how Scripture has been fulfilled. Have you read the Bible? And that's basically what he finally asked Agrippa. But he said, Festus finally speaks up. When Paul says, hey, I've preached to the Jewish and the Gentiles, I think right in the middle of his argument, Festus, with a loud voice, speaks over him from an elevated platform, and all eyes go to him, and Festus basically says, are you out of your mind? You are raving like a lunatic. In fact, the word really means a maniac. You are a maniac. Are you out of your mind? Listen, go back and read the Gospels three or four times. The same thing was said of Jesus. You've lost your mind. In fact, Jesus was executed under one of Festus's predecessors before Felix was Pilate. And Pilate's the one that had Jesus executed. And he even says, your great learning has driven you mad. He couldn't dispute the fact that Paul was incredibly educated. Paul spent his early days sitting under the feet of Gamaliel, who was the leading rabbi of the time. So you know what? When somebody can't dispute your education, they'll just dismiss it and basically say, Paul, you've gotten too smart for your own good. You're educated, but it's driven you mad. You're a lunatic. You're a maniac. What you're saying doesn't make sense. In fact, if you read the story of Dwight Moody, great evangelist of the last century, Dwight Moody was an energetic shoe salesman who came to Christ. And after that, so devoted his life to Christ, he became one of the greatest evangelists of all time. And yet the nickname he was given by his friends was Crazy Moody. Why? Because they thought he'd lost his mind. What had he lost? He had lost his old life and put on a new life. Jesus was in the process of giving him a brand new mind. And some people looked at that and thought, you're crazy. So what does Paul say in response? Paul's looked back and says, I'm not crazy, most honorable Festus or most excellent Festus. But I utter words of sober truth. Literally, I'm speaking from a sane, sound mind, and I'm just speaking the truth. In fact, here's a great witness to call. He says, King. And he looks at Agrippa and he says, Agrippa, you know that what I'm saying is true. These things that I'm talking about haven't been done in a corner. In other words, these things haven't happened in secret. What's Paul talking about? Well, the secret was, number one, Christ rose from the dead. He appeared to over 500 on one occasion. It's, it's been great evidence has been presented that he really did rise from the dead. The second thing, King Agrippa, you have to be aware of is that I have been converted. Everybody knew Paul. He was the Saul. He was the one that persecuted the Jews and I mean, the Christians. He was the great Jew that persecuted Christians. But the other thing he had to know was you, you've got to know that thousands of people have come to faith in Christ. So he looks at, after being accused by Festus of being crazy, he looks at Agrippa and says, Agrippa, you can be my witness here. You can testify yourself. I'm not crazy. I'm only speaking the truth. And, and basically, Agrippa, don't you believe in the prophets? And before he gives him an opportunity to answer, he says, I know that you do. What do we know about Agrippa? Agrippa and Bernice were worshiping Jews. Probably not born into the Jewish faith, but it had converted to Judaism. So Agrippa, to be a worshiping, practicing Jew, would have known the prophets. He would have known the prophecies of the Messiah. And so Paul's saying, I know that you know these things. 
I'm not crazy. I'm just, you're misunderstanding me. What do you do when people misunderstand the truth? You, you point them back to Scripture. When I was speaking in Eastern Europe, while I was there, there were a lot of other cult and religious groups that were also there. And so every time I got asked a question, I said, what does the Bible say? Because I realized I'm only there for ten days. When I leave, what is going to be your source of education here? Is it just going to be the next religious leader that comes through? Because they're probably going to tell you something totally different than I'm telling you. So I brought them back to Scripture. In fact, remember Galatians? Flip back over to Galatians. Look what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. He said, but even if we, this is verse 8, Galatians 1, even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he's to be accursed. As we have said before, say, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you've received, he is to be accursed. What's Paul saying? Listen, when your ministry is misunderstood, come back to Scripture. Does what I'm preaching square with Scripture? If it doesn't, don't believe it. When you hear something on television, when you hear something on the radio, when you hear something in another religious setting, if it doesn't square with Scripture, don't believe it. Because it's not from God. In fact, Paul says, let them be accursed. Even if I came to you, Paul said, and preached something contrary to the gospel you received, let me be accursed. Then the last point. Your ministry may be opposed, your ministry may be misunderstood, but some will respond. And folks, we leave the results up to God. And King Agrippa looks at Paul and basically says, in such a short time, would you convert me? And there's great debate. Okay, since we're all family here today, I'm going to tell you, there's great debate over what, what the, the true meaning of that passage is. Some translations are basically saying, Paul, if you continue for a short time more, I'm going to become a Christian. Others say it's more of a sarcastic answer to say, Paul, do you understand that I'm a Jew and you think in just this little brief time here you're going to convert me too to Christianity? And you say, well, which is it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is what he said was in a short time, I, I too may be persuaded. And so Agrippa at least is listening to what Paul is saying. And Agrippa knew the Old Testament and understood that what Paul was saying was the Old Testament prophecies, those promises, have been perfectly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And whether he's being sarcastic or whether he's basically saying, hey, I know what you're saying is true. If you, did, if you spoke a little bit longer, I may be converted. But he certainly interrupts Paul. And Paul's answer is, King Agrippa, I wish this. With all my heart. In fact, he says, I wish to God. What's he saying? He's saying, basically, I'm praying this to God. That whether the small people or the great people, whether in a short time or whether in a long time, that everybody would become as I am. Folks, I've got to ask you as a believer, if everybody became like you are, would it be a good thing? Would it be a good thing if people followed Christ the way you're following Christ? The question that convicts us today is this. Are we leaving footprints that other people can follow. Paul was confident enough to say, you know what, my confidence is in Christ. And all I'm telling you is I've done the best I know how to do since I've been converted to live the authentic Christian life. And Paul's saying with chains on, I wish that everybody could experience what I've experienced. Is your good news that good? Is what, is what Jesus has done in your life so good that you want everybody to experience it? And Paul holds up these chained hands and says, I wish they could all be like me, except for these chains. I'm not wishing this on anybody. 
But Paul would have said, you know what, if this is what it takes for me to get the message out, I gladly bear these chains, ultimately knowing that I'm going to lose my life over my faith. That convicts me, folks, to ask the question, could I say the same thing that Paul says, that I want everybody else to have what I have? Is your good news, is the good news of what Jesus Christ done in your life so good that people around you, you'd want them to have the same thing that you've got? Well, at the end of that, the dignitaries get up, start walking outside. I'm still not sure Paul's through, but they're done listening. So they get up and start walking outside, and here's the conversation between them. You know what? This guy has done nothing deserving death or imprisonment. He should be set free right now. And yet they don't set him free. Why? Because Paul had appealed to Caesar. And as a governor or even a king over a region, you didn't want to be found guilty of kind of short-stepping the process to get to Caesar. You didn't want to elevate yourself to a position and say, this guy has requested to go to Caesar, but I'm going to stop it. Paul had been told by God a few chapters earlier that he was going to end up in Rome. not sure that God explained to him exactly how he was going to get there. He was going to get there on a prison boat. And he would ultimately get to Rome. But he should have been set free. In fact, they say to each other he would have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Agrippa. So that's the story that we have in this passage today. And I want you to leave with more than just a historical reference to the Apostle Paul. I want the Apostle Paul to be a minister or a witness in your life even to this day. I want to challenge us even this day as we leave in a few minutes that this week we would live our lives in such a way, not that we get arrested, (laughs) but so that people see that there's something different in our life and that our life represents on Sunday the same thing it does on Monday and Tuesday and the rest of the week, and that is that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And if somebody accuses you of being crazy, open the Bible up and say, well, let me tell you what God's done in my life. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for the story that we read of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his faithfulness. God, thank you even for the word that he has in Galatians where he says, you know, am I trying to please men or am I trying to please God? Because if I was still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we recognize that sometimes in this life, if we live the authentic Christian life, we'll get noticed and sometimes we'll even be misunderstood. Sometimes folks will oppose what we're trying to do. And yet, God, I pray that ultimately we would be found faithful in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that on behalf of folks sitting here this morning that are listening, that, God, we'd live our lives in such a way that one day we would see you and we would hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And, God, we may never hear that this side of eternity. We may not have folks rushing up to say to us, hey, I see Jesus in you. And it's good. But God, one day, if we're faithful, we hear you say, well done. And God, that and that is enough. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.